why, how I'm even up here, I don't even know. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, this morning, if you got any prayer requests, praise, anything at all today, uh, I'd be, uh, feel free to share them. Um, anything at all today that we need to pray for? Continue to remember, the, uh, yes, sir. Hey, we'll take it. Amen. That's a good problem, isn't it? <laughs> Amen. Um, let's continue to pray for uh, Miss Carol Burris. Uh, she's doing well. Uh, she's in a regular room now. Uh, she's doing well, getting better day by day. And I know there's a few others as well, but haven't heard any updates on them. But she is doing better and appreciate your prayers. And uh, she's looking forward to uh, getting back in the swing of things, getting back to church and everything. And getting her text messages are absolutely uh, humbling and as well encouraging to know that there is someone who um, wants to, to keep on going. She's not done, and that's what she says every time. She's ready. She's going. Uh, she says she's ready to move forward, ready to keep going. So I, I love that attitude, especially in the midst of sitting in the hospital and having that attitude. I mean, uh, it, it blesses my heart, but uh, keep praying for her, and uh, she, appreciates, uh, she appreciates the prayers. Any others? Oh, several hands. Praise the Lord. A few weeks, three weeks, yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going through it um, for sure. Pray, yeah, pray for Bethel. Um, pray for the Tilly family. Uh, he's the, he was the pastor at, at Bethel, and he just passed uh, <clears throat> this past week. So pray for them, pray for the family, and uh, pray for that church as well. And let's not forget, you know, that's a, that's a church that's going through a hard time too, and, and y'all been through hard times, haven't you? Amen. That's right. And so you, you would love to have the same support and uh, to be able to give support as well to them. So if you think about them, pray for them. Uh, reach out to them. Let, if you know somebody there, let them know you're praying. Or, or if there's anything that we can do as a church to help them out, we certainly will. Any others at all? Yes, ma'am? Praise the Lord for that. He's, he's, gone, he's gone a long ways. I know he's still got a ways to go, but pray, pray for those things to kind of settle down, and, and especially for mom and dad's sake too, I'm sure. Anybody else this morning? Yes, ma'am. Sure will. Any others this morning? Yes, ma'am. All right. Any others? All right. Well, let's uh, let's keep praying. I want to thank you all too, and, and I'll mention it again in the service. Um, thank you all for for praying this week for those that have. 
And uh, if you signed up and said you'd pray and you didn't, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but um, there, are, there is more room on there. But I do know that most of you out here would probably say, I'll pray every day for the church. And we appreciate that. All this is, this is just a time to take the rest of the year. And to take time each day or, or when you sign up for it, just a moment, just a time, a short period of time where nothing else, just praying for direction for our church, for our families for focus and even for revival in these things and uh, for whatever the Lord has in store for us. And uh, I appreciate the prayers and I need the prayers and, and it will make the difference in this church moving forward. I promise you it will. Uh, but I thank you for it. Any others at all today? All right. Well, let's pray this morning. Ask the Lord to help us. And then we'll be beginning a new section here in 1 John. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this time that we're able to, to gather and to worship you. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we have a new day of life, uh, Lord, that we can see the beauty of your creation, Lord, that we can see uh, your handiwork, and Lord, as well, we can see uh, that you're very much at work in this church. Lord, help us be mindful of that, to, uh, to remember those things, and to praise you for it, and God, just to trust you through these uncertain times and, and, and times of transition and moving forward, Lord, whatever it will look like. But God, I pray that you would help us to have focus and to have a burden to pray and, and a, a burden to, to do this together. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would Help us this morning, Lord, as we come to you and lift up these requests to you, God. We pray for uh, Sister Carol, Lord, that you continue to bless and, and heal her and give her a, a quick recovery. Thank you for her faithfulness and uh, for her, her attitude, especially in the midst of uh, such a, a trying time. We do pray for Bethel Baptist, Lord, and for the Tilly family at the loss of their pastor. And, Lord, we pray that you would bless them, encourage them, help them during this time of uncertainty and, and transition. And, Lord, whatever they're going to go through, Lord, which is going to be a million emotions, Lord, for a long time, Lord, just they're going to be grieving and, and just trying to just just trying to, to stay on their feet. God, I pray that you would help them, uh, Lord, that we could uh, be a help and a blessing to them in some way. And Lord, we do pray as well for uh, little Michael, who is uh, struggling with some complications, Lord, but we do thank you that uh, he has made it this far and has done so well. We do pray uh, for his sake and for parents' sake, uh, God, that some of these things would uh, settle down, Lord, so that you would to give complete healing and, and Lord that would be such a testimony of what you were able to do we do pray as well for our friends uh, that are fostering Lord that you would help them to come to a date and Lord that you would work it out in your time and your plan we do pray as well for Noah who's sick and uh, Lord that you would give uh, healing and Lord there's many others I'm sure Lord who uh, we have not mentioned and many unspoken requests but God I thank you that you know the heart Lord you know the needs of every person that's here every person that, that couldn't make it today for some situation or some reason. But God, I pray the word that you would help them. Lord, help us today, God, as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts to it. You would prepare us as well just to worship you in spirit and in truth, both now and in our worship service. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4. I've got it planned to do this in two weeks, and so far I've had two people say, I felt the booklet, it's not going to happen, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but I, I'm in no hurry, and I'm uh, thankful we got this, uh, this Bible to study and uh, this book of 1 John. But we're going to be looking through verses uh, 4 through 10 over the next few couple of weeks, <laughs> and to see the, this main point here that we often forget, but that John is writing for them to remember. This is not a new truth. This is not something groundbreaking or earth-shattering or earth-shaking. This is instead something very basic that we should understand as believers. If you are saved today, as the title of this says, we are victors over sin and the devil. And that's exactly what we're going to look like. 
That's exactly what we're going to look at through this verse. That we should be living as victors. But most Christians today, unfortunately, are living as losers. I know we don't like the term losers and what it sounds like and all that. But to be frank, that's how we live. That we live uh, getting beaten up against the ropes without ever swinging back. Uh, we go into battle without our armor on. Or we don't even uh, attempt to even uh, fight. Or we just say, well, what's the point? I can't. I'm just not strong enough. Or it's just too big. Or it's just too bad. Or whatever it might be. We are called and called more than conquerors. There are more than conquerors. Not through our strength. Not through who we are. But through who Christ is and what He has done for us. So I want to begin here reading verses 4-7 through seven today. And we'll ask the Lord to help uh, just pray that the Lord helps us through this and, and to study it as we're going through. I want to be able to pick out as much stuff for you as possible, as much meat in here. It says, Whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither knoweth him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now there's a lot going on here. And what we're going to see, verses 4-7, through is that we are victors over sin. But to get to that, we have to understand the relationship between the Christian and sin. We have to understand what sin actually is, the severity, and all these things that we're going to look at today. (coughs) Let's begin. First of all, the Christian and sin. He says, whosoever commits sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. The Christian and sin are at war with each other. We have to understand that. The devil is not your friend. The world is not your friend. And even your flesh is not your friend. Your flesh will justify sin. Your flesh will lead you to sin. You are even in some degree at war within yourself. There is a constant spiritual battle uh, taking place to either get you to live in the flesh, to live for the world, or to listen to the lies of the devil and to cause you to be a loser, if you will, in this battle. It will cause you to have more losses than you have wins, but in Christ and through Christ, and as First John has been talking about, as we abide in Christ, we find that we're not losers, but rather we're winners. We're, we're, we're victors. We're conquerors. We are ones who have conquered in Christ Jesus and all that He has done for us. <clears throat> the, the two as well, when we deal with the Christian and sin, should not be associated with each other. All right? I want to have a little bit of class participation this morning, all right? something a little different. I want you to, to raise your hand and shout out, or just shout out something that you think is, should be associated with a Christian. All right? What's to be associated with a Christian? Give me some adjectives here. Giving, all right? What else? Love? Forgiving? Okay. What else? Humbleness? What else? Thankfulness? Fruits of the Spirit, right? All, all the, right? <clears throat> Those are all good. That's exactly right, right? Those are the things that should be identified. Now, what should not be identified? Selfishness. What selfishness? It's sin. What, what about another one? Anger. Right? Gossip. A million. Sins. They're all sins. So therefore, the Christian should not be associated with sin, but we should be associated with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what about the fruit of the flesh? Well, that's associated with our old nature, with who we used to be. That's associated with the things of the world. That's what the Bible teaches and tells us. That's what John here is getting at. He's reminding them of these things. See, does this mean, though, that Christians won't sin at all? No. No, I, I sinned this morning. I sinned yesterday. Matter of fact, I sat on my sofa. I, can, I, can the preacher be honest with you? 
I hope so. I sat on my sofa yesterday and said, if the people knew that I just got that mad or that angry or that upset at my dog or about this situation or this frustrated or how I feel on the inside right now because I'm a miserable, sinful wretch right now, they wouldn't even show up tomorrow. Is that all right? Y'all okay with that? I'm a sinner too. So are you. It's all right. I'm not perfect, neither are you. Nor are we ever going to get to that place. I would love to get to that place. But guess what? I'm not going to get to that place until I leave this place. There are many who would say, and we'll deal with this a little bit later, about this sort of sinless perfection. It is not a biblical concept or a uh, theological doctrine that is taught anywhere in the Scripture. Christians still sin. Not in our spirit, but in our flesh. What is our flesh? It's this stuff, isn't it? It's this stuff that is always warring against us, that goes against us. Now, while we will still sin in our flesh, this does not mean that we are to be identified in our walk with it, right? We are not to be identified. We are to be identified in our walk with the Lord, uh, with, with who he is and the fruits of the spirit we just talked about, but never with the things of darkness, always with that of light. And that's what John has dealt with so far. He has talked about that, especially in the early two chapters, dealing with if you're truly in Christ, you're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. You're going to confess your sins. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to live in light of that and walk in light of his light and of who he is. Uh, As one commentator puts it, Cruz here, he says, here the author returns to his treatment of the main theme of chapter 2, verse 29 through chapter 3, verse 10, the fundamental connection between knowing God and doing righteousness which was interrupted in chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, by an exhortation to consider the greatness of God's love, the immense privilege of being his children, and the hope of being made like Christ at his appearing. In contrast to those who do what is right, chapter 2, verse 29, and purify themselves, chapter 3, verse 3, the author now turns his attention to those who continue in sin. I want to look at those two verses real quick. Chapter 2, verse 29 says, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Then chapter 3, verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This is going to continue on to this idea that we should not be not only identified with sin, but we should not be seeking out sin. We should not be okay with sin. And I think that's what we're going to get to here in a little bit. That's going to be probably our biggest issue. You, you and I know, if you've been saved for more than three and a half seconds, you know sin's bad. You know you're not supposed to sin. You know you're supposed to read your Bible. You know you're supposed to pray. But the longer that you are saved, once you've been saved for, I don't know, a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, all the way down to how long you and I have been saved, we grow a little bit apathetic. How about a little bit? I mean, a lot of bit. <laughs> we grow a lot of bit apathetic to these things. We, we stop caring as much about the weight of our sin because we're so far removed from uh, it's penalty and all those things we've been saved for so long and and we stop thinking about the severity of what that really looks like you see though we are called to holiness we're called to these things it's not just some fuddy-duddy doctrine that mean old spit flying snot slinging preachers preach holiness is what jesus calls us to holiness is what jesus saved us for so that we would be pure as he is pure so that when he comes back we don't shrink back at his appearing, but that we're confident in his appearing. And we are doing righteous, which means what is right, and to be pure in our walk with Christ. This is a continued process of repentance and faith in Christ, not for salvation, but sanctification. 
We often put repentance and faith together, as we should, because it's what the Bible does. Uh, the, the two, in some ways, in the New Testament, are actually used interchangeably. There's sometimes, uh, someone will say, um, uh, to believe in the Lord and you shall be saved. Well, what is also implied is if you believe in the Lord, that means you stop believing in the way that you were living. Uh, there is a, a going to be an immediate turnaround. Repentance and faith do go hand in hand. They were always together. Uh, but with this, we often, as believers, look at salvation and just think, salvation is what repentance and faith is. Well, sure. You, you need to repent and put your trust in Christ alone for salvation. But every day of your life, do we still need repentance? Yes. Do we still need faith in Christ? Yes. There is not a moment or a day that goes by that you will not have some sort of sin in your life that does not need repenting of. Now, what that means, though, is that we do what John has already told us. And if we confess our sins, we trust and have faith that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is not that we wallow in our sins. It's not that we wallow in our self-pity. And there are times, too, where we can be so severe on ourselves that we forget that we are still saved, that we're still forgiven, but we still must repent. The, the, I believe the anecdote for most of your problems in your spiritual life, and, and even just in your day-to-day life, and mine as well, is to turn from ourself, to turn from our flesh, to turn from this world, to turn from the devil and the lies that he tells us all the time, because that's all he tells us, mind you, all right? He's just a liar. And that we turn to Christ in repentance and faith that we are constantly looking and living. As we constantly look at Christ, we are rejuvenated with this breath of fresh air or we're reminded of the life that we have in him. That is the key. I believe it's the key for most of us who are facing discouragement or depression. I believe it's the, the, the key for, for most of the things that we're dealing with in our life. Most of the things that you deal with in your Christian walk are not outward. They're inward. Right? The same way with your salvation. It doesn't start outward. It's inward. It's your inward that's got to be saved. And one day our outward will be uh, finished and glorified and made perfect and made right. But until then, there is still yet this war. And the, the way to win the war is repentance and faith. Continue to look to Christ. Keep looking to Christ. Because Christ loves me and is coming again, I should do what he commands in purity, seeking to be pure before him. This is what we see all throughout John, all throughout the Bible. There's not anyone that has ever been saved that God did not say that they needed to be pure. Oh, you just, I saved you so you can do what you want. Or I saved you so you don't have to worry about purifying your heart or your mind or your body. No, it's all of us. And the more that we understand that he loves me and the more that we understand that he is coming again, the more that we should take purity and holiness seriously. I do not believe either that we can take holiness too seriously. The Puritans were accused of such in their day. Many others who have stood right before God have said the same thing. However, I do believe that we can take holiness not serious enough. I think that might be perhaps the problem of most modern churches, but I would say it's also a problem and an issue on the other side of that coin of of, of churches in our sort of circle, that they take personal holiness so seriously that that's what they base salvation off of, and that's not the case. Right? You're saved not because of our holiness and righteousness, but because of His holiness and righteousness and what Christ has done. Now John here, the reason why he's including this and dealing with this whole passage is because he's having to address the false teaching of, on sin in his day. And so, was, so must we. There is a tremendous amount of false teaching 
in what we would consider to be fundamental churches as well as in the progressive or liberal churches that we would barely even call a church. There is a wrong view of sin, and I believe we have a wrong view of sin because we have a wrong view of God. We have a wrong view of His Word. We have a wrong view of the basics, and because we have a wrong view of the basics, everything else is a mess. And the whole point of 1 John is to get us back to the basics so that we have assurance of our salvation and have assurance in the times where there's constantly uh, false teaching and false doctrines and the temptation to sin or to fall away all around us. What John was dealing with in his day, you and I are as well. The Bible is still up to date. As one commentator writes, he says, uh, Barclay writes, this passage is directed against the Gnostic false teachers. As we have seen, they produced more than one reason to justify sin. They said that the body was evil and that therefore there was no harm in satisfying its lust to the full because what happened to it was of no importance. They said that truly spiritual people were protected to such an extent by the spirit that they could sin to their heart's content and come to no harm. They even said that there was an obligation on true Gnostics both to scale the heights and to plumb the depths so that they might be truly said to know all things. Behind John's answer, there is a kind of analysis of sin. The idea of the Gnostics in their day is that there were some who said, well, since our body is naturally bad and evil, therefore, do whatever you want. It's not going to affect it anyways. Then there were others who said that if we are uh, truly uh, saved here, that we uh, are able to sin and it doesn't affect us spiritually. It might affect our bodies, right? It might not be good for us to do certain things, but spiritually, you know, we're, we're covered and it's all good. Well, Paul addressed that in, in Romans repeatedly, didn't he? He says, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The idea of God forbid, it's let it never be so. Let, let it never be said. Let it never even happen. It, it is no to the thousand times no. And then there were others who said that true Gnosticism meant that you knew all things and had a knowledge of all things and a higher knowledge than anybody else on all things. Well, we can't know all things. But there are many who live and preach like Gnostics today and don't even know it. But the Gnostics then would even say, dealing with, they want to know all the heights of holiness, but they also want to know all the depths of sinfulness. They want to experience everything. And so they don't mind going to the deep, dark places where sin will take them because they feel in their mind that that's what they need to be able to know and to learn all things. You see, it comes down to this. When it comes to sin, man will justify himself for anything he wants. Period. If man wants to sin, which he naturally does, he will find a way, and he will find a way to make it sound good. That's what we do. If you sinned this week, which you did, mind you, you found a way to convince yourself it would not be that bad, or you could get by with it, or it's not as big of a deal, or I can do it because I can repent later. It does not make it right, though, does it? Sin is still sin. And this leads us now to the severity of sin. You see, today, as there are many who teach false, falsely in many wide range of churches about sin and the severity of it and about what sin really is, we've got to understand, if we don't understand sin, how can we help others to understand what sin is? You would probably say today that if you love Christ and you want others to be saved, you would say that, right? You, we want that, right? We, I want to know Christ more every day. I want to be more Christ-like every day. I want my friends and family, my neighbors to know Jesus. Right? That's, of course, that's great. But in order for them to know Jesus, they, they first have to know sin. Before anyone can ever be saved, they have to know that they need to be saved. 
If we naturally think that people are good, which unfortunately the statistics show that, the statistics show that the average believer, or at least the one who would claim to be a Christian, over 50%, actually it's pushing closer to 60 and 70% of Christians claim that one sin is not worthy of an eternal death or punishment in hell. But it is. Right? It is. It's an offense against God. We think, well, I mean, man, God sure was severe there in the garden. He kicked them all out. They couldn't, I mean, he couldn't have a second chance here. I mean, it's mind-boggling to think that. And the reason why we think so little of sin is because we actually think so little of God. We know he's big. We know he made everything, but we don't think he cares as much about the day-to-day life, and that's far from the truth. When we look at this, we've got to understand what sin truly is. The the true offense that it is. Because you were not saved had you not been told about sin, had you not been told about the Savior, that He died to save you from your sins. He did not save you so that you could continue in sin or to live out your sins with a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not what Christianity is. Well, there are many who preach it that way, and there's many who settle for such have here the severity of sin you will not purify yourself from what you do not understand this passage since really the ending of chapter two has been dealing with purification you will not purify yourself or be drawn to holiness unless you are pushed away from the disgusting filth that sin actually is your flesh and my flesh naturally looks to sin because we like it you sin and i'm going to give you the reason why you sin all right one I'm going to tell you what it's not. The reason why you did, the reason why you sinned is not because the devil made you do it. If the devil made you do anything, you need to be born again because you're not controlled of Christ, you're controlled of the devil. And you're his child, not God's. The devil did not make you do anything. He might have told you a lie. He might have put something in your way. He might have thrown, uh, uh, given you a, this idea of something shining glittery over here. But the Bible also teaches us in James that we're drawn away with our own lust. So what's the real root? You sin and I sin because we like sin. That's it. We want to sin. We rebel because we want to rebel. We say no to God because we want to say no to God. The reason why we sin and what sin truly is, we're going to see that sin is a total disobedience and a total shaking of one's fist against God. Even the tiniest, smallest little sin is the biggest, greatest offense in the sight of a holy God. And that's what we're missing today. We do, in our generation, and in our nation, we do take sin far too lightly. But the understanding of sin is absolutely fundamental to your salvation. If you think that you are naturally good, which statistics and studies show that most Christians think that people are born good and society's bad, society corrupts them. If people are good, how does society get bad? If people are naturally good, would society ever get bad? No. How do you get a bad society from good people? You don't. It doesn't add up. You can do the math however you want. It does not work. So how do you get a wicked, sinful society? Because people are naturally wicked and sinful. That's it. I remember in a classroom, um, I took an AP class in 11th grade. And towards the end, we were finished with all the major work. And so our teacher treated us like a lot like college students and like for us to do some different debates and topics. And there were some hot topics about the one that we dealt with 
was, uh, on one day was dealing with, with the idea of sin, with, with human nature. Are we born naturally good and society turns out bad? Or are we born naturally bad and society stays bad, right? And there was a pastor's kid of First Baptist Church in Waynesboro, Virginia. And I don't mind saying its name because it's still wicked and sinful, all right? The church hasn't got any better. It's sad. And the, 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 the church taught this young girl who was a pastor's kid was so appalled that I said that people are naturally bad, not only according to the Scripture, but according to, to natural law. You put two babies in one room with one toy, they're not going to play nice. Who wants to sign up for the nursery? Right? <laughs> Absolutely appalled. The average Christian today, some, you know, eight, however many years ago that was, ten years later, it's gotten worse. People naturally think that they're good, and you're not. You're rotten, wicked, sinful, and we don't like it. And that's why Christ is so good, and that's why His grace is so wonderful, because He loves something that does not naturally love Him. And he sacrifices himself for something that would spit in his face and pull out his beard and drive nails into his hands. That's what sin is. See, if you don't know that you're a sinner, then you don't know you need a Savior. And if you are not a sinner, then you don't need a Savior. And so there are many who would say, well, I like Jesus and all, and he teaches great things, and he's a great moral teacher, but I don't need him to save me because I would have to be bad. As a matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago there was a a political figure who said, I don't recall ever a time that I sinned. I, I, if I sinned, I would have to ask forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, y'all know who I'm talking about, right? And see, we, we treat sin far too lightly. If anyone thinks that he does not need forgiveness, then he does not know sin and he does not know God. And the issue of our day is that we've got many people in our pews and we've sat for a long time. We know about sin. We know about Jesus. We can tell you all the facts. Yeah, he died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day, according to scriptures. And that's great. And we celebrate him at Christmas, we celebrate him at Easter. But all throughout, we are still unrepentant because we still think that we're naturally good because I've been in church my whole life. You can be in church your whole life since you were a baby. You might have grew up in that nursery back there and be here today and still be lost as can be. And still be just as unregenerate. Still be just as sinful. Being in church does not equate to being a Christian or having forgiveness. You must understand your sinful state before Christ. That you were not born with a potential to sin, but you were born naturally sinful. You were born dead in your sins and trespasses. But God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith He has loved us, He has given us His mercy, given us His grace, that by grace through faith in Christ we're saved. Not of your works, because all of your works would just mount up to, to dung and to, to filthy rags. And there was others then who deal with this, and they would just say, well, you know what? I just don't really need that. I don't get the whole thing. You know, God will sort it out one day. God will sort it out one day. And your sin will still be just as much there, standing unforgiven before him. And he will not look at you and go, well, you tried real hard. You did some nice things. He won't care if you gave to the Children's Miracle Network. He won't care if you gave to this organization or even if you were the biggest tither in church. If you did not have forgiveness and cleansing of your sins through the blood of Christ, then it is nothing. 
See, our victory over sin begins with admitting defeat and surrendering to Christ, the ultimate victor in life and death over sin. Christ did not just conquer sin at the cross. I want you to know that. Christ, sing, Christ conquered sin in a sinless life. Christ conquered sin at the cross. Christ conquered sin in His resurrection. Christ conquers sin even now as He saves every believer and, and we are saved in Him. And that means that we are secure in Him. That means that we are free from this sin. That if we're in Christ, that ultimately we have the victory. That one day the great hope of heaven is not just that we get to see lost loved ones, but we get to have an ultimate and final victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave as Christ did because He's done it on our behalf. We must admit when we sin, Lord, I've been defeated. So God, I surrender now to You. That's where the repentance and faith continuously. We stay in a state of losing spiritually because we choose to. God is always there. And if we understand that we have the access and the ability to, uh, of repentance and faith and, and trusting in the Lord and going, Lord, forgive me, renew me, uh, uh, put in my heart a desire for you. Help me to see the glories of heaven. Help me to be delivered from these things. Help me to live as a victor. You know what he's going to help you to do? He will answer that prayer. Do you think God's not going to answer the prayer that asks him for help and not sinning? Well, he certainly will. There's still times and trials where you're going to keep someone falling. But the great thing is all the while he's going, you can do it. Come on. Come on. And one day he'll get us all the way to the finish line. We won't have to worry about that fight anymore. The true Christian walk that John is presenting in this letter is one of surrender. We are to surrender our will and our walk to Christ's will and word. As John Stott writes, the first step towards holy living is to recognize the true nature and wickedness of sin. You and I will not have a desire to live holy lives or purified lives as countless Christians have done throughout the ages unless we first have the right understanding of how bad sin is. I believe the greatest sin that we face in our generation and in our churches and in our own hearts is the sin of apathy. We have grown cold. We have grown cold to sin or hardened to sin where we might not be doing the, the gross sins of the world, but we're full of pride. We are so quick to gossip far more than we are to amen or hallelujah. We are very quick to cut down, very quick to lie to one another. And we do it in church, don't we? We're to trust one another and to love one another and Hey, how you doing? Oh, doing good. Never better. Lie. <laughs> right? That might be the biggest lie told in the church house. Besides the message was good. <laughs> might be the biggest lie, right? Why? Because we're naturally doing this. We're naturally trying to cover up the fact that we might have some sort of sin or things aren't going according to our plan or how we would like them to. You see, we all want us to, we all want each other and ourselves to believe that we're more holy than what we actually are. What we need, though, is more convincing to understand that we're more sinful than what we think we are. If we understand our sinfulness, even in our saved state, that's going to drive me not away from Christ, but to Christ. It's not going to have me shrink back and run away and, and, and go hide behind a tree or cover myself with the fig leaves, but rather it's going to bring me back to Him. There's a question I always have 
and especially as we're getting ready to go through it in Genesis on, on Tuesday night's uh, shameless plug-in there. Um, in chapter 3, after sin happens, they go hide behind a tree, and cover themselves with fig leaves. I often wonder, what would the story and the account of that look like if instead of running away, they ran to him? And I wonder sometimes what our daily life would look like is if instead of running away from God and believing, well, I started my day off on the wrong foot, so the rest of my day is just shot. I'm just going to hide from God the rest of the day because I, there's no way he's going to take me back. There's no way I can redeem this day or, or to make things better. Is instead of doing that, which I do more than I would love to care to admit, instead we ran to God. God, I started my day bad. God, I started this morning, I was angry. God, I woke up, I was, I was prideful, or I was anxious, I was this. God, I was already just defeated. Lord, I was already full of sin or full of just frustration or anger. I was, had hate in my heart already this morning. God, I've got another 23 hours to go, right? Help me. God can redeem your day. If God can help you in that day, don't you think he can help you get through two days that way? Don't you think he can help you get through three? You wake up three days in a row and you feel that there's no hope, or that there's nothing going good. And you say, God, would you help me? I, 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 don't you think he can? Absolutely. But what happens is in our sin is that because we start our day off wrong, then we just let the rest of the day just go into the ditches. Christ does not desire for us to live our Christian life in the ditches. He desires for us to live and to walk on the narrow way with him, to be led by the good shepherd, to know him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to tell him our troubles, to tell him our sins that ail us and the things that are going against us and, and everything else that, that seems to be falling apart. What we need with our sin that is in us is not to run away and not to try to fix it ourselves, but it's to run to God who's the only one that can fix it. It's to run to God, the only one who can redeem us and make the day better. It's to run to God who can make us a victor over this sin. You and I would say we want holy lives, but to get there, we've got to have our sin addressed. There's no one who says on their way to church in the morning, honey, I sure hope the preacher preaches against my sin today. <laughs> and there's no preacher that goes, I sure hope today in church I get to preach against my sin today. No, because it, it's difficult. It's hard. But we will never get to a life of holiness and purity and love and joy and peace unless we first deal with the sin that is in our hearts. Not by dwelling on that sin, not by trying to pay the price for that sin, which we often try to do by going, well, God, since I sinned this morning, I may as well just have the rest of a miserable day and then we'll start over again tomorrow. No, it's turn and look to Christ. And there is hope. The one who shows us the severity of our sin is also the one who saves us from our sin. Today showed me that it's going to be three weeks. <laughs> but in this today, as we, we come to a close, we're going to stop here. I want us to understand that while sin is so severe, while every sin that we've got is absolutely disgusting and violent, we should never even be associated with it. I want us to know the other side, which is that if my sin is that severe, and look to the cross and see God's goodness there. 
When you sin, look to Christ. When you're fighting sin, look to Christ. When you're doing good, but you know that any moment sin could be right around the corner, look to Christ. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, look to Christ. When sin is weighing you down, or when doubt or discouragement is weighing you down, when your pride is weighing you down, when whatever it is is weighing you down, look to Christ. It is looking to Him that will purify us from the inside out. And it is a lifelong process. But praise the Lord that one day, when we reach heaven's shore, no more fighting with sin, no more dealing or battling with sin, no more struggling with it, but we will be full and final victors in Christ alone. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love towards us. Help us, God, to understand the severity of our sin, but to understand the goodness of you, our Lord and Savior. Lord, that we would understand the price that was paid for our sin, but God, as well, that we would pray and we would carry this message with us in our hearts as we we go and we talk to our our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors and, and, and those we come in contact with to make sure that they know not just that they're a sinner, but to know that there is a Savior. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use us, prepare our hearts now for the worship service, and God, that you would do great and mighty things. Help us to seek you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the calls. Any guys that want to come pray, we'll meet you right over here in the side room.